0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Praise the Lord. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Let's give the Lord one more hand clap of praise and thanking. It's a privilege. It is a privilege to be in the house of the Lord. I had a conversation sometime back with an individual, Uh, nobody from here, so don't don't let your mind wander. But the conversation directed us towards that they believe that you didn't have to go to church to be a Christian, and uh, they are absolutely right. Our salvation and our relationship with the Lord hinges upon us and God. But you also don't have to go home to be married. But don't go home and see how long your marriage will last. See what kind of troubles you'll have. It's, it's a privilege to be in the house of the Lord. It's an honor to come with a congregation and serve and worship the Lord. I'm thankful that the Lord allows me to be here today. Praise the Lord. I was on the list a few weeks ago to, to preach and the sickness hit our church and the service was canceled. So I seen my name on the list again, and my flesh said, well, I got this covered. I've had one in the oven for a while, so Uh, I refresh myself a little bit Monday and Tuesday, and then as he always seems to do, Thursday, the Lord. Lord, drop something in my spirit that I just want to share with us this morning. I have some lengthy reading in the book of First Kings, chapter eighteen. The book of First Kings, chapter eighteen, and uh, I feel it necessary to to do this much reading. I don't normally do that, but to to lay the groundwork and to give us to a to a final destination, I'm going to do that this morning and. And uh, I'll allow you to be seated. But before we do that, can we pray to the Lord this morning? Father, I love you. I'm so thankful for the privilege to be in this place today. Thankful that you've allowed us to come together. And I'm thankful for what we felt in the Holy Ghost. And how you've allowed us to magnify and to praise your name. And the word that has went forth that we have heard. But I'm asking you for the next few minutes, Lord, that you touch our hearts and our minds. That you help us to receive what thus saith the Lord and speak to us, as a congregation, how we need you, how we need you. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that you're glad to see him in church this morning. Praise the Lord. Book of First Kings, chapter eighteen, familiar passage of Scripture. I have nothing new this morning, but I would like to remind us of some things. 1 Kings 18 and beginning with verse 17, and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all of Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning morning. Even until noon, saying, O bell, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. It came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is talking or he is pursuing or he's on a journey or peradventure, he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I'll read that again. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. I'll read that again. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. And said, "Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood." And he said, "Do it a second time." And they did it at the second time. And he said, "Do it the third time." And they did it the third time. And the water ran about the altar and it filled the trench also with water. And he came to pay. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening service sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, "Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel." and that I am thy servant, and I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is the God the Lord, he is the God. I know this has been some lengthy reading this morning and with the help of the Holy Ghost, I'll, um, I'll be able to make sense of all this, but for the, just the next few moments, I want to preach from, from this subject, a drought that's draining the church, a drought that's draining the church. Elijah calls for this meeting with Ahab because of the sins of Ahab and the nation of Israel. God, at the prayer of Elijah earlier, had shut up the heavens and there had been a three-and-a-half-year drought. Now, we all know what drought means. It's, it's dryness. But if you'll look up in Webster's Dictionary, you'll also find that it means emptiness. It means destruction. It means desolation. It means death. And it means famine. Ahab, the king of Israel, meets Elijah with these words, "Or, Thou he that troubleth Israel. In other words, Ahab's saying, are you the one that's agitating Israel? Are you the one that's causing all the chaos that we find around us? This this shows you how far Israel had fallen from God's divine presence and calling. You see, Ahab was the king who was supposed to lift the standard, who would lead Israel in their divine destiny and their relationship with God. But he was so backslidden that the very presence of Elijah with his commitment and his consecration and his love for God, it disturbed Ahab, it repulsed him, it agitated him, even caused him such distress that he tries to lay the blame with all the problems with Israel on Elijah by saying he's the one that's the culprit of this. Most all of us know this, what I'm about to say, but when you get serious about serving God, when you consecrate yourself to live holy, separated, sanctified, you will be viewed as different. Some may even refer to you uh, forget this forgive me for this English vernacular but some may refer to you as even a bit cultish, or blinded by your passion because you want to serve the Lord. And we ask ourselves, well, why would someone do this? And it's because there are people who are satisfied to just live near the altar. They're satisfied to be religious. They can look the part. They can sound the part. They can act the part. But when you have chosen to live your life on the altar, to set up camp there, to set up your house there, to spend day after day after day and to be a living sacrifice, you're you're going to upset this world system and you will disturb not only worldly people, but you're also going to upset some of those that call themselves religious. You're going to upset some family members. That's why Paul admonished us in Romans 12 and 1. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And this part here has just been driven in my spirit of late. It says, which is your?" reasonable service. He's not asking us to do something that we can't obtain. He's not asking us to do something that's impossible. It is our reasonable service. And here Elijah was calling the nation of Israel back to the altar. Now Elijah is not known through the scriptures as a great elaborate preacher, but when the Bible shines the spotlight here on Elijah, we see him on the ground with his head between his knees praying. And I'll submit to you today that Elijah at that moment was showing us, was showing the church what an altar looks like, what it, what it means to cry out to the Lord. And the great need of this hour for the church is for men and women of God who will rebuild the altar. You see, the altar is a meeting place with God. It's where you climb Mount Moriah and you give your Isaacs to God. You place your sacrifice. It's, it's death to self. It's, it's, it's a place of consecration. It's the place where we wrestle with God for a changed life. It's the place where Jacob the deceiver and the liar become, dies and becomes Israel and a prince is born. We read this morning where Elijah took 12 stones and those 12 stones were to represent the tribes of Israel. He was building for us a picture of Israel back under God's divine order, living according to God's word. He, he rebuilt this altar. He knew Elijah knew that if he could bring Israel back to the altar, and the altar back to Israel, that he would bring Israel back to God. And please don't misunderstand me this morning and think that I'm trying to bring politics to the pulpit. I'm not. I'm just merely preaching the truth with these next few comments that I'll make. And I believe we all know, without a shadow of a doubt, the only hope for this country is to come back to the altar. There's no president, no politician, no legislation that can turn this country around. The only hope for America is God. God back in the home, God back in the schoolhouse, God back among the country's leaders, and most importantly, God back in the church house. If we can. Get America back to the altar. We can we can get America back to God. Malachi three and seven says this, even from the days of your fathers you are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me. And I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. And that is where we're at in this country right now. The greatest structure that we can build in America is not rebuilding buildings or or towers or monuments. It's not building bigger cities and more entertainment. But in every city, in every church, in every home, it's to build an altar, an altar to the Lord. The altar wasn't torn down by terrorist attacks. It wasn't destroyed by some war. This altar wasn't torn down by looters or rioters, but the altar has been torn down through neglect and decay and rejection in favor of more comfortable and less painful in a humiliating way. The The greatest sin of America is not alcohol. It's not drugs. It's not murder or theft. The greatest sin in America is pride. It's not a national pride that we need in America today, but it's a national humility and a total dependence upon God. We're all familiar with 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. Now, we all know that there are some wicked, evil things happening in this world gross hor- horrible things being done around the world today the the world is dark and it's dangerous But here God is not speaking to the world in 2 Chronicles 7. God is speaking to the church. And he identifies that when he says, my people. Those who identify themselves with me. Those who go by my name. The the name that is above every name. The name that every knee shall bow. The the name that we cast out devils in. The the name that we call on to heal the sick. The name which is is the greatest name of all. God says, if my people will humble themselves and pray. If my, if my people will repent, he will heal the land. And you, revival doesn't come to deliver us from sin. That's not what revival is about. Revival comes because we have delivered ourselves from sin. In other words, revival comes because we've, we've repented. We've tore down the idols in our hearts because we have hated sin and loved righteousness. Revival comes because we rend our hearts not just our garments. Revival comes because we break up fallow ground and we seek God till he comes and rains righteousness and holiness down on us. We read about the stones in verse 31 where they were whole stones, no tool lifted up on them for that would pollute the altar before God. We learned that in the book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 25 for if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. And what this means is, number one, it's a self-effort. You have to build the altar yourself. My pastor can't build my altar. My mama can't build my altar. My wife can't build my altar. Jerry has got to build his own altar. I need an altar for myself. No flesh, no talent, no skill, no ability is ever a substitute for an altar and the anointing. Exodus 30 tells us, Upon a man's flesh shall it not be poured, neither shall ye make any other like it. After the composition of it, it is holy, and it shall be holy unto you. Secondly, God just doesn't want a little piece of our lives. Contrary to popular opinion, God's not going to accept any old sacrifice or offering. He wants all of us. He won't be number two. He's not playing second fiddle in the band. He won't be there when all else fails. And you say, well, I've tried everything else. I guess I'll try God. No, sir. No, ma'am. He's going to be first or he's going to be nothing at all. Elijah, he called for an investment of the people. He wanted the people to contribute and to be a part of what was about to take place. And if we don't ever make an investment in anything or in this church, then we don't care about it. You may say, well, Jerry, that's a little harsh, isn't it? It may be harsh, but it's the truth. If you don't invest in this church, whether that be money or time or your abilities or talents, if you don't invest in this church, then you don't love it. Pursuit is the proof of desire. When you are pursuing something, that proves that you love it. If you really want something, you will spend time in pursuit of it. You know the the importance of a thing is by the time you're willing to give it. You know how much you love something by how much time that you put into it. Ask yourself a question today. How much time do I really give seeking God? How much... Time do I spend on my face compared to how much time I spend on Facebook. It, it may shock us. I've been praying, God, clean out my heart. Purge me and give me a passion and a desire like never before to be in pursuit of you. Because if there's one thing I know, ladies and gentlemen, in this final day and hour, if we are not in pursuit of of Jesus Christ, you will not make it when all hell breaks loose on this earth. You will, you will not be able to withstand. We, we live in a technological information age where we're connected to everything and everyone except the one who matters the most. So many people feel like they would die if they lost their phone or had, had to go without their iPad for a day. But many of those same people can go days and even weeks without talking to God. I have a challenge for us this morning. I have a challenge. Will you join me? I've got a few hands that will join me without, without for you know what it is. Here's what I submit to us as a church. Starting tomorrow and for the next seven days, let's write down on paper how much time we spend with the Lord each day. Now this will be for you in your eyes only. We're not going to ask you to bring it next Sunday and read it from the pulpit. But in prayer, write down how much time you spend in prayer. Write down how much time you spend in Bible reading. Write down how much time you spend in meditating and listening to preaching and teaching. And then we will see just how committed we are and if we need to reevaluate our time and our commitments to God. I have done this recently And I stand here to a shame this morning to tell you I was highly disappointed in myself. The 12 barrels of water in the time of drought and famine was a tremendous sacrifice. The point is this. If we really want to experience a move of God, it's going to cause something. It's going to cause something. There will never be fire from heaven without an investment of water. Water in the time of famine, 12 barrels of water during a drought was unheard of. It was an enormous investment. It is it is a wonder, it's only by God that they didn't cut the head off of Elijah for wasting this water in a time like this. And it's obvious that there is a drought in this country, that goes without saying. But, And I've preached about that for the last few minutes, but what I'm most concerned about Hence my title is that same drought that the world is in is affecting the church. It's draining the church of a power. It seems today that the church is in a spiritual drought. It's it's a challenge to get people to come to church. And sometimes when they come, it's a challenge to get them to worship. It's a struggle sometimes to get people to pray. People don't want to cry anymore. They don't want to spend time around the altar anymore with salty tears wetting the carpet beneath us. This altar was once called a mourner's bench for a reason. It's because we poured out our hearts with our tears on it and it's because we, we cried over our lost children. We cried over our lost loved ones. We cried over lost husbands and lost wives and we, we don't see many tears on the altar anymore. Nothing has changed about God. He's still the same as he was yesterday, today and forever. It is still true. The fire will fall when the altar is wet. Elijah had them dig a trench around this altar. And if we're going to see the power of God manifested, there has to be more work around the altar. And if we don't have time to pray, we shouldn't be surprised when no one is healed. And if we We shouldn't be surprised when no one is baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And if we don't have time to pray, we shouldn't be surprised when... No one is delivered from depression and their burdens lifted. I'm going to say something a little sharp and a little harsh here, but please don't take offense. I am growing weary with seeing people come in and talk about how good the church feels, how good the service was, how good the singing was, how good the preaching was. And they walk out and we never see them again. I'm growing weary with that. And that problem lays at our feet. That's a problem this whole congregation has to address. We need to fall on our face before God and create an atmosphere that when people come into this house, they can't refuse to leave. They won't leave until they're filled with the Spirit of God. Notice, notice how prayer is hard work, it's hard on the flesh. It's hard on the pride, and it's hard on the carnal mind. Scripture says, and he made a trench about the altar. This shows us how vitally connected the preaching of the word is with prayer. And if we want to see preaching that results in changed lives, we have to saturate our life in the word with prayer. That's why it's so critical. If you don't hear nothing I say today, hear this. That's why it's so critical that we pray for this man. That God would anoint him to lead us and preach us the unadulterated truth with boldness, no matter how bad it hurts or stings. Acts 6 and 4 says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We read as the water covered this altar that Elijah built and the sacrifice, it filled the trench round about. This is referring to a deep work of the Holy Ghost, more than a touch. What this is referring to is a transformation. It's great to spend a few minutes around the front here and feel the power of God and receive a touch. I'm, I'm not diminishing that at all. But what we need more than anything is to fall on our face before God. At this altar and cry out, I refuse to leave until I'm transformed. I Appreciate the touch, Lord, but that's not enough. I want my life transformed, soak in saturation of the Word of God. We can't just hear what is preached. We have to got we have got to let it soak into our life, and we have to let it break up the, the fallow ground in our heart. After Elijah had done all he could do, he calls on God. Not just any God, but the God who answers by fire. Heaven bent low, low to hear the voice of that old prophet. And suddenly the fire of God fell from heaven. The fire consumes the sacrifice. We all know the story in the altar and the stones of the altar. And it licks up the water in the trench and it licks up the dust. The supernatural fire of God always, always falls on the divine order of God. When it's of God, God will honor it and the fire will fall on it. If we desire the divine supernatural fire of God in our lives, we have got to get back to the altar. We have got to get back to the altar. The fire of God falls. I want to pray in church. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. My prayer for our church over the last few months has been, God, please, please send fire. I want to see these altars full of backsliders. I want to see these altars full of lost children, full of lost husbands, lost wives. I've got loved ones that is going to hell and I want to see them saved. I want to see these altars full of people that are addicted. I want to see these altars full of people that are lost and they want to be found. I promise you, if we are a church that's on fire, all the little problems that we may think we have won't even be a blip on the radar. God will do things for us as a congregation and as individuals that we never thought or imagined. The most beautiful sound that I have ever heard in church its not the sound of great preachers preaching. It's not the sound of great singers singing. But the most beautiful thing that I've ever heard in this house, and I'm speaking specifically about this house, is the sound of the church praying. There's something beautiful about the church in Travail. When the church, like Elijah, bows her head down between her knees and begins to pray, something happens in the spirit realm. Hell hell goes on high alert. Demons start to shake. Chains Begin to break loose. Yokes are destroyed and captives are set free. Everything that Satan has ever done to the church or against the church has one prime objective behind it. Get them off their knees. Keep them off their knees because the devil knows it's the church on her knees that's going to give hell a fight. It's a praying church that's going to rattle and shake the gates of hell and cause people's heart to be touched by the move of the Holy Ghost. The, the greatest gift that God can give us is it's not a bigger church. It's not a bigger dining hall or a paved parking lot or better preachers and singers. or a, It's not a big choir loft or, or fancy chairs. But the greatest gift that God can give to the church is a spirit of prayer and travail. Zechariah 12 and 10 says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. If you would stand with me across this house this morning. I believe that the Holy Ghost is speaking to some hearts this morning. And I wonder in closing is there anyone here who would be honest enough to admit that I've had a drought in my life? I'm not talking about sin. You, you've missed it this morning if that's what you think I've been preaching about. I'm talking about the cares of this life the rapid pace of this world, all the, all the things that has happened over the last 18 months or so of our lives and how it's distracted me. I'll ask us this morning, how long has it been since I've prayed at this altar and left my tears stained on it? I need some praying people to help me right now. I feel in the Holy Ghost that God, He wants to move through us this morning and work in us. I need somebody that'll help me cry some tears. All over this house, would you call on God with me? Would you let God hear your audible voice this morning? God needs someone here who refuses to let the enemy take your children. God needs someone here this morning that would pray for this church. God is calling for someone this morning who would intercede and pray for the sickness that has swept over us. Can someone lift your voice this morning? Can we find ourselves at this altar and ask God more than a touch? I need a transformation. I need a transformation, Lord. Let's pray, church. Whatever's waiting outside those doors can wait just a few more minutes. Let's pray, church. Let's pray, church.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.